passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock alongside. Mr. Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hi, John. How you doing? Can I start off with a philosophical question? Of course. Sure. If a wrestler is turned babyface, but he got a haircut specifically for the heel turn, what is the hair representative of? Is huh. it a babyface haircut or is it a heel haircut? Okay. Um. I mean, um... Uh, th- that's a very interesting philosophical question. I'm I'm guessing he just keeps it because he probably has no other choice. No, probably not. Yes, I guess that was uh, some of the news coming out of, uh, I would say, a pretty newsworthy edition of Raw. There was quite a lot on this show. Yeah, yeah. Some uh, matches, get, matches getting made for, for the next premium live event, uh, some leadership changes in stables, and some people, uh, you know, making their exits for some time. Yes, we will get into all of that, uh, but thanks to everybody that is joining us live tonight. We are live after every Raw, every Dynamite, and every SmackDown. And uh, coming up this week, just some notes on the site. We are going to be back. The new show will return on Tuesday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll do a catch-up on all the latest uh, news and getting Way's deep thoughts on every single news item that is going on. Way has been <laughs> texting me like a madman all weekend. He's like, I can't wait to talk about this and this and this. I'm like, wait, you got to wait till Tuesday, one o'clock Eastern. We'll get it all out of your system on Tuesday. And then Tuesday night, I'm excited for this. It is volume five of a little series we call Pollock and Ting Talk. And we won't give out any uh, preview of what we're going to be discussing because we don't know. But I think this will be a noteworthy one. I think uh, uh, all listeners will uh, have something to take away from this chat that we do every so often. It's been a while since we've done one of these, I feel. Um, I looked it up. I think it was um, February or March, the last one we did. I didn't realize it had been so long. I mean, that's a whole lifetime ago. So plenty of things to discuss since then. Uh, this is the show where we try not to talk about talk about professional wrestling at all. We get a little bit more personal about just, uh, I don't know, everything we're into in our, our, our own lives and uh, maybe a hair. little bit about hair as well. You want to talk about hair? No, I don't want to talk about hair tomorrow night. Oh, Okay, we'll get all the hair talk out tonight. Okay, uh, that's coming up Tuesday for all members at postdressingcafe.com. You will be getting that show. And this week, if you're a cafe member, three bonus shows with talk. We have the return of MCU later on Thursday evening with Way and WH Park. It is the premiere, not of Ms. and Mrs., but of Ms. Marvel. 
That is correct. Yeah, the latest Disney Plus show uh, that uh, coming up to us from Marvel Studios. So WH will be guiding me along, at least, you know, through some of the uh, comic book runs of this character as we discuss the first episode. That's right. And then uh, we will be back Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown, which I guess the NHL schedule is not all figured out yet. So I don't know. Uh, TNT's got Rampage listed at like different times. I guess we will hopefully have a locked in time by uh, by midweek for Rampage. So looking forward to that. UFC 275 post show will be live Saturday night right after the fights with Phil Chertok and Eric Marcotte. And then we have WrestleNomics Radio, your Sunday staple here at PostWrestling.com. Up next, a plethora, a, a stacked lineup as always every week here at Post Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Always something going on. So yeah, uh, check out the website. Okay. Let's get into Raw, because that's where um, a lot of the news is going to be generated from at the Rush Center in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And off the top, they did a big recap of Cody Rhodes, a really nice video package Mm -hmm. um, going through the injury, Cody going into the match, the reveal of the peck and all of the highlights from Helen itself. I thought like a very good video package here, um, summarizing everything. What to me is like one of the more buzzworthy matches WWE has done. Like typically we see this around WrestleMania time. You'll get that. I think this is a match that got a lot of attention and it also felt like Cody is X amount bigger star than he was a week ago uh, from all of this. Like, I think this is um, a really significant turning point of his WWE run from, you know, a, a, a star regardless of these past couple of months, but it feels much more like he has now cemented his standing in this run uh, just over these last 48 hours. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it, I'd, I'd argue it's probably the biggest match of his career. And, you know, you can have a big match, biggest match of your career, if you're prob- maybe on the undercard and um, somebody will might be talking about it. But when you're put into a position to main event and the spotlight is on you and you deliver that sort of match under these cir- sort of un- uncommon circumstances, you know, really superhuman circumstances... It's 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 going to be a story we'll be talking about for years to come. Are you dubbing him the uncommon man, Cody Rhodes? Well, maybe I am. Yeah. Yes. And that's a huge part of it. Like sometimes these things happen, um, but it's also the company acknowledging it and treating it like a big deal. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't have tonight's follow up and this start to the show, stuff like this kind of falls through the cracks and you don't capitalize when big things happen and people just move on so that was very important tonight that you know this was the the talk of everything today was reaction to that match and going into tonight of of cody's uh, follow-up with it so he starts the show and he comes out and dude this guy has the biggest smile on his face and comes to the ring and the announcers are calling it a career defining performance for the future hall of famer cody rhodes i mean he Cemented his stat. He's checked the box. He's a Hall of Famer now at 36. And they showed all the different tweets. They didn't really call attention to it, but the most prominent one was Mick Foley calling it one of the gutsiest performances of all time. And I think that was a really smart uh, endorsement to have there of Mick Foley, um, you know, give it put, putting Cody over for this performance. The arena is chanting for him. And Cody states that it is a privilege to do what he does. And he explains how his pectoral tendon has been torn right off the bone. And then he brings up a member of his family that they have not met, his daughter. And he's getting choked up, explaining that when she is old enough, he wants her to watch this match. And I'm like, Cody, when she's older, like 
35 you can play her this match. Do not show <laughs> this poor girl this match until Start way, way into the, the later years when this is available on some random technology we haven't even invented yet. Start her off with the Dustin Rhodes bloodbath and then maybe move her on to the... Yeah, uh, ease her in. Ease her in. Like, move up to like the, the blood, the fire, yeah. and then we'll go to the uh, uh, ruptured uh, tendon inside yeah. of your body um, that exploded. And he said... That at his lowest point, he was not cynical or jaded. It could have been the darkest moment of his career, but instead I chose I chose to fight. And I did it against one of the best wrestlers in the game, Seth Rollins. That chapter and that trilogy is over. I am officially done with Seth Rollins. But unfortunately, he did not file that claim to officially end things with Seth Rollins. It was still pending. And <laughs> he then looks up at the briefcases above and theorizes that in four weeks, if I could climb a ladder and get that contract and then go on to challenge for the undisputed Universal Championship. But before he can act out this insane plan, Seth Rollins interrupts. He comes into the ring and he says, I still don't like you, but after last night, you have earned my respect. I agree with what everyone has said. You are the toughest person I've ever been inside of a ring with. And Dusty is very proud of his baby boy right now. And Cody is getting very emotional here in the ring. And he said that, Cody, you came out after WrestleMania on Raw to shake my hand. Well, here I am to return the favor. And the two shake hands and Cody's music plays as Seth Rollins exits. And I thought this was a tremendous start here of where they were going. And we had even theorized on Sunday about this potential of going this way. But there's more. And this is when they are noting that Cody is set for surgery this Wednesday. And Cody is slowly walking up the up the ramp Thursday. They said Wednesday on the broadcast. Oh, they did. Yes. So that appears to be the the day because they said it multiple times on the show Wednesday. Okay. All right. So anyway, um, Cody uh, walks up to the entrance and then his back is towards the the backstage area. When Seth returns and just drills him with the sledgehammer from behind, tears off the shirt, revealing the the pectoral region, and just stomps on it, attacks it. The announcers are outraged at this action by Seth Rollins. And after the break, Cody is still selling this, and he opts to walk out on his own without the, the help of a stretcher. Corey Graves is so disgusted. Shame on you, Seth Rollins. And that ended the segment. Cody is off for surgery. Um, I don't know what this tease was of money in the bank. I would say that that seems uh, inconceivable. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe that was sort of the the idea here that can can Cody uh, go for one more crazy stunt and then Seth has now taken it away from him, his, his chance. But I mean, all he really did say was, you know, what if I walked up that ladder to grab that briefcase? And I, I suppose technically he could still walk up a ladder and grab the briefcase without doing any other part of the match. But yeah, the idea that they're even, you know, suggesting that he might even be entered in this money in the bank match, I have no idea what they're thinking. I I shudder to think that post-surgery somehow this guy could, you know, even be teased. Uh, to, I don't even want him walking up a ladder. He shouldn't even be on a plane. You well, know? if this was Allegiant Stadium, they'd be like, Cody, we can at least, like, there's a chance you could be, uh, you could show up. <laughs> um I don't know if that's uh, necessary here, but it was it was definitely teased. Yeah, that was very interesting. 
Um, nonetheless, you know, his overall story, of course, is uh, eventually vying for that world championship. And maybe maybe th- this was just a way to, to allude to that. Um, but, you know, maybe it's also a way that they'll they'll try to figure out, you know, ways to keep his name in in the show, even as he's recovering. I mean, these sort of injuries, a full pack tear with surgery. I mean, you know, we've seen prior in- incidences of, of this with other wrestlers and, you know, taking anywhere. If you're a superhuman like a John Cena, four months to, you know, maybe if you're an average human, five to six months. So um, I don't know how they're going to. You know, the thing is, if he wins the money in the bank briefcase, and, and this is crazy that I'm even talking about the, the idea that a man who's about to enter surgery could even do it. But this is professional wrestling. We, did, we had James Ellsworth essentially win the money in the bank briefcase. You could really do anything you want. Would that be a way of keeping his name alive, you know, and, and, and already, you know, basically kind of, you know, marking his territory for a future world title match. I, I do think that they'll want to like next week. I think they should have an update on the surgery and have like sporadic updates for, from Cody. Like, I don't think he should just disappear for this, this whole time. And yeah, I, I don't really know what you can um, really tease physically. Like there, there is certainly, there comes a certain level where it's okay. The 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 guy is going under the knife on on Wednesday uh, for for a massive. I won't say a massive surgery, but pretty significant surgery. Like like months and months of potential recovery necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure they are going to want to keep his name out there. My my belief by the end of this show is, and this is just me guessing, is okay with Cody out. Like we said on Sunday, they need baby faces, and they they could have gone with Seth. But they opted to go with Edge. That was my belief by the end because the Edge mm-hmm. turn was extremely abrupt. And obviously they believed that they have put a lot into the Seth Heel character and they did not want to change that, even though you had the perfect setup here to kind of get Seth back into that role. But obviously they have plans for him as a heel and they're going the Edge direction as a babyface. Yeah, yeah. You know, Cody bringing up money in the bank could have just been a simple way for you know the 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 first segment to promote the pay-per-view that's coming up drawing attention to the briefcases that were hanging above could have just been as simple as that with without nothing else uh, added to it but um i mean because cody's big comeback it it should be like if he's back you know in in a shorter amount of time great but yeah we we might be talking about it won't be that short like he well i'm saying like if we're looking at the royal rumble okay that's Mm -hmm. that's still like we're looking six seven months away from now and he might be back you know, with a comfortable time before that. But that's what I would be, be shooting for is the rumble and a big return for, for Cody. Like you could do something enormous for th- this return. Like you cannot have a guy go out uh, in more heroic fashion than what they have set up here for, for his return. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's the triple H template, except I think um, even in some ways kind of bigger because you had such a remarkable match coming off of it. Um, and the timing of this is really kind of perfect for the rumble and WrestleMania cycle. So I, I, I think I, you, you know, hopefully if the recovery is as I think, um, you know, goes maybe as planned, um, you, you have a perfectly set up WrestleMania babyface right here in Cody Rhodes. Like the hunter, the hunter thing really did not become this thing of legend until it was those YouTube videos like that truly like, turned it into this uh 
into this thing afterwards. Like, you knew the circumstances. They showed the footage on television. But it wasn't until those videos aired that it just became, like, this legendary performance of a guy gutting his way through the end of the match. So much of that was on the handling of the return and turning it into this this huge, like, tale of just an unbelievable performance from the guy. Yeah. And yeah, they have sure. that. It, like, everyone is up to speed instantly. You don't even have to do a whole lot of work to it. You can just now capitalize on the return and make it as big as possible. But yeah. part of that requires them going away for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they certainly got me with this little swerve here. I thought they were going the route of at least, you know, partially turning Rollins a baby face. And instead, they decided to keep him heel. Um, and just kind of using the Cody thing, I suppose, to, you know, get, have him regain that heat after losing three straight in a row. I hope certainly that we don't see a fourth match between the two down the road. Um, I hope when Cody says it's official that it means it is official. I think, you know, this little thing, I, I don't. Why, I don't why would you do this? Well, just for him to get his heat back, you know, to take credit for, for the injury. I, I mean, maybe eventually, you know, yeah, maybe come January, he'll or February, he'll do one more match. Um, I, I just don't really have the, you know, um, taste for it at the moment, but maybe maybe in February I'll I'll be excited to see it again. Maybe a 4-0 run for Cody Rhodes. But I just thought it was, yeah, fine, effective business. If you're not going to turn Rollins heel for whatever reason, then I don't dislike this. You know, there's so much criticism about him ha- dropping 3-0 and to Cody. Th- and, and people... I don't mind that at all. I don't mind that. Well, I, I think Rollins should have won the second match. Like, I don't think he, at least like even in a chicken shit heel way, it for me definitely affected my interest going into th- the third match when Cody had already won two two of them. Um, but you know, he should have absolutely won last. Cody should have absolutely won last night. You know, people were suggesting, well, how can Rollins lose to uh, a guy with one arm? I mean, the story is the more important thing and by having Cody win and overcome these incredible odds you you tell a far more interesting story than if you know than maybe one that was more geared towards realism um so but i just i i don't really want to see a fourth match anytime soon you know but all that said you know the they they need Rollins to get some of that value back and they did that here so our first match saw Becky Lynch versus Dana Brooke and the match begins, and Akira Tozawa runs down wearing the 24-7 title, chased by R-Truth, Tamina, T-Bars in there, and then Tozawa gets into the ring, and Dana rolls him up in 36 seconds and pins him. So Dana Brooke regains the 24-7 title. Becky states that no one is winning titles in her matches besides her and challenges Dana for the 24-7 title. And threatens anyone that tries to interfere. So we get an impromptu 24-7 title match with Becky Lynch challenging Dana Brooke. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was a... Uh, this was quite the uh, the challenge. Asuka interrupts with her music playing. So Becky Lynch is destroying Dana with Bexploders and gets distracted with Asuka on the apron, leading to a roll-up. And then after Dana misses a swanton off the top, she's uh, hit with a boot to the face, and Becky goes for the manhandle slam. It's countered with a jackknife cover as Asuka holds down Becky's foot in 2 minutes and 14 seconds. So it is Becky Lynch losing to Dana Brooke. And I guess we're kind of going backwards because it looks like Becky is not going to challenge Bianca at this next pay-per-view. She's probably the SummerSlam opponent, and they're just going to do the Asuka-Becky match that they were always going to do. 
and that's probably either money in the bank or or TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sure. Why not? You know, you sacrifice the um, intended singles match between Becky and Oscar to have both of them enter a three way for this pay per view under very unique circumstances. So now you go back and. Even though they've already actually did this match on TV, but I mean, whatever. Who's counting at this point? It's you, uh, you just you do them until someone just says, "I'm done. I'm done yeah. with this feud. It's over." So I understand why they would go back to Oscar versus Becky for this next show, but there are a million ways of promoting and getting to that point without having Becky Lynch take a pinfall on TV, even under these circumstances, to Dana Brooke. <laughs> The twenty four seven champion. What the now, hell? Now is let this? me ask you: Is it worse to lose to Dana Brooke, or is it worse to win the twenty four seven title? Oh, winning the the championship. That was what I was most afraid of. You know, yeah. the fact that Becky would have actually won this thing. God, I mean, neither are good. Good, John. You know, to, to be associated. I think losing is 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 the better option than winning the the, the title. I would not have had the twenty four seven title near her. I would have had it out of the building with Becky Lynch in there. I don't know what the idea was. I mean, I, I, know I like what the, the fact idea. that they felt the need that this match needed Dana to win the twenty four seven title in between matches to, I guess, prop up this uh, this match. Well, I mean, you can't have Becky challenge for it if if it was just Tozawa. I guess you could. But you I mean, could, they could have just done this match, match and Oscar gets involved, but they felt the need to involve the twenty four seven title. Like you could have gone all this without it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> They needed a commercial break in there, I suppose, and a reset, dude. I don't fucking know, man. I don't. I don't know how this company thinks, but the idea that like you would somehow involve the the the, the worst of the worst division, you know, in this company and this championship and this joke of a title with your what your top female draw in the company in the same segment and have that person beat Becky Lynch again. I know Oscar was the reason for this, and the heat is all on Oscar. But but please, like they've been they've been a bit more protective of. Like, would you do this with Brock Lesnar? Would you do this with like Nate? And you know, name x x amount of like serious threat. I, I I just can't fathom why they would they would even draw the association with this terrible division with Becky Lynch. Um, whatever you know, like not not to say it it, it has that big of an effect uh, on anything in the end. But I I just thought there were a million ways of getting back to Oscar versus Becky, and I wouldn't have chosen this one. I thought they needed a reasonable explanation of why Becky was not in the Fatal 4-Way at the end of the night. Well, I mean, she had just lost. But you're right. Like, she didn't get pinned, you know. I mean, Even even if they stated that. Like, Asuka and Becky just got title opportunities last night. That's why they're not in the match. And that's something we never get those explanations here. But then I see Jon Moxley is named as the number one contender. And Tony Khan has to go out of his way to to justify him being the number one contender. It's like we have... We have such extremes when it when it comes to the the leniency that is given here. I mean, this was, I suppose, self explanatory enough. And do, don't we still have that rule where like automatic rematches don't don't occur, or is that out the window already? Um, well, we're getting. Uh, I, I guess. I guess. I guess. I guess just cool. in my head, I'm just like they they went through some considerable effort to to prevent Becky from being being pinned last night in that three way. And it automatically led you to believe that, okay, Becky Lynch is in line for a world championship spot. And tonight, they just kind of gave you that visual of Dana Brooke pinning her, um, you know, in service to build to a pretty much like kind of pointless match between Asuka and Becky at the next show. Maybe Becky could have explained that I'm going for Bianca's title, but I'm not wrestling in some intimate confines. 
I wrestle in stadiums, okay? So mm-hmm. Nashville, I have my ticket booked. I'll see you at the end yeah. of July. Sure. Then the announcement is made of John Cena returning on the June 27th edition of Raw, which is actually 20 years to the day of the air date of the SmackDown where he confronted Kurt Angle. It was taped two nights earlier, but June Good 27th enough. was the day. Yeah, it was the day. So Best you can do. Yeah. Like uh, Slammiversary, on, it is on the exact date of their 20th anniversary of their first show from 2002. That's, so that's, that's impressive. And John Cena is coming back to Laredo, Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose the man um, had some time out of his schedule and somebody looked at the calendar and said, oh, hey, it's by the way, it's 20 years. Should we try to get John Cena on this special show, try to pop a rating? And I guess Cena was free. Yeah. And I guess the obvious question will be if they shoot an angle with him, like to do something at, at Money in the Bank or or something else like at SummerSlam. Man. SummerSlam, I guess, poses an interesting question, but... Um, I, I don't think he's coming back just to do nothing. Um, but do we know the extent of his schedule? You know, is he in ring shape? Um, yeah, I suppose SummerSlam is interesting. Uh, it's a possibility. We'll see. The Miz and Maurice are out, and this is for their, their premiere. For Miz and Mrs. with two new episodes tonight. We were going to delay recording tonight so we could uh, watch... Oh, shit. I forgot. Yeah, we did. The Miz explains that if he wins the Money in the Bank briefcase, there's an 85% chance of winning the championship, which he has done twice, and one more would make it a record. If he could be Mm. a three-time Money in the Bank winner. Record's Mm. broken. Marie says she is excited about her show, but not excited to be here. Her glam team didn't even know where Green Bay was. And the crowd, like, they took some time before they, they booed this. And then Miz just kind of berates them to get them to boo louder. So Riddle comes out. He tries to speak in French with Maurice and then gives a shout-out to Randy. I love you, dog. And says that, I hope you come back soon, unlike my stepdad. Miz tells him that Orton's career is over. And Riddle then announces he wants to fight Roman Reigns and take the undisputed title from him. And there's a reason that John Cena is playing Peacemaker while Miz is playing Homemaker with Maurice dragging him by his tiny balls, which leads to the crowd chanting, Tiny Balls. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Miz, clar- er, sorry, Maurice clarified that Miz has average-sized balls before she is corrected. Above-average-sized balls. The biggest balls in the world. You'd probably get that checked out. That would be very concerning. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should be taking some time off. And Riddle asks him to prove it and then challenges him to a match. But Miz turns it down as he's in a tuxedo. And with that, Ciampa, remember him? He jumps Riddle from behind and then Miz accepts the challenge. And we never saw Ciampa again. <laughs> and Riddle would make very quick work of the Miz, uh, rendering this attack rather useless. But we did get a Ciampa cameo. This is just an update that he's still on Raw. Ciampa is like, just like, you know, Miz's little sidekick that just comes in. Um, I, I don't know. Just He's do- not even impersonating an animal. Like, he doesn't even have that going for him. Like, at least right. make him like the Doberman or something. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Why not? The attack dog. So Riddle and Miz, uh, Riddle goes for a RKO, but Miz rolls out, and then Riddle misses the PK as Maurice gets Miz free. Uh, Riddle rips off Miz's pants, so he is so embarrassed because he's 
in front of this arena wearing the same thing he basically wrestles in every week. Well, listen, it's the material is totally different, John. Mm, you know, okay. one is cotton, one is, um, I don't know, spandex. Very different. Um, yeah, it's embarrassing. The crowd chanted tiny balls, which maybe that's going to take off. And Miz misses with the loaded purse, takes the RKO, and Riddle pins him in 223, and he starts a Randy chant. So this is uh, getting Riddle some victories and running through the Miz. Yeah, yeah. I thought the segment earlier was was fun. I think Riddle's shtick is really connecting with this crowd. Even as a single star, um, I think he's been very effective in retaining that kind of goofball stoner personality, but also being able to to throw in a bit of seriousness in there here. He basically, you know, stated his claim for Roman Reigns, championship. Uh, He's continuing to throw Randy's name into this by keeping uh, him alive. So I like the peacemaker homemaker line and even the tiny ball stuff. Yes. Okay. We are almost 40, John. This is not a joke for us, but it's a joke for this audience and they happen to love it. So I thought it was very effective. I'm sure everyone's chanting at home. It's it, it probably is a chant that will will take off. I'm sure they will encourage this. Yeah. And I think they're all actually doing a very good job with Riddle by positioning him up there, uh, feeling hot enough for a world championship of challenge. And I think Miz and Maurice are very good heels. You know, Miz can afford to basically lose every single match for the rest of his career. And it really won't hurt a stock one bit. His is a character that feeds on TV time. And microphone time, not so much wins and losses. So um, even though this was the premiere night of his TV show, I thought this was the best way to do it. And then we go right into a championship contenders match with the Usos against the Street Profits. And the Profits are trying to win early on. The Usos have to regroup. Ford hit a flip off the steps, and that set up our first commercial break. They got the advantage on Dawkins forever. They throw him into the steps. We get a second commercial. Come back. Dawkins hits a big topic on Hero onto both Usos. There's a spine buster. Ford hits from the heavens, which I don't know how closely you're paying attention, but they're never calling it from the heavens anymore. Oh, yeah? What do they call it? Just a frog splash? They're just like, look at that height, or describing it. Um, but unless I'm, I'm missing it, it doesn't seem like they're identifying it as from the heavens anymore. Maybe it was a... Maybe they thought it's it's not literally from heaven. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Who knows? Jay gets tossed into the timekeeper's area, and he is counted out as Ford makes it back into the ring so the Profits win by countout in 16 minutes and 25 seconds. And I guess this sets up a match that uh, could happen on Friday. It could happen on Monday. It could happen at the pay-per-view. It could never happen. That's how these championship contenders matches work. Um, we will take this as a Natalia down-the-road title match that they are owed. Sure, yeah. Uh, so what is it? The, the Usos just beat... Nakamura? Wait, they they haven't faced Nakamura and Riddle yet. No, they faced them on they? Friday. Oh, they, they did. They injured Nakamura and then beat Riddle. Got it. Okay, so they 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 they're through that team challenge. They've beaten the New Day, um, and now they are uh, on. You know what? What other teams are left? But the Street Profits. So they're probably going to get a win over the Street Profits eventually at some point. And uh, I mean, that's honestly it. I uh, maybe the I think the match was probably good, but to be quite honest you, with you, I'm so fucking bored of these street profits as characters in ring. I think they're great, but I think they've been incredibly stale as uh, personalities, which is really tough for me to say because both men have such incredible charisma. It's just the the segments are just so dull. They say the same things every single week. Yes, they have great um, 
delivery, but give me a story. Give me something interesting. Give me some drama taking place between the two. Um, and, you know, maybe this is the start of, of something changing, but I, I, I don't have that much interest in seeing the Street Profits go for a championship when I, I'm told nothing about what it means for them, nor their desires to want these belts. Yes, and getting it on a countout on top of that. It's not even like you made like strong challengers out of them here. It was like, well, one of them was faster than the other at getting into the ring. So I, I can't say it was a, a very intriguing setup either for a title match. Uh, but they did pair Riddle with um, the Street Profits afterwards as he came out to celebrate with them and gearing up Riddle to be going after Roman Reigns. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bobby Lashley is out, and he never wanted it to end like this with MVP. He considered him family. And as the saying goes, you never interrupt your enemies when they're making a mistake. And it felt good to put MVP in the hurt lock, and they are now in the rearview mirror. So a lot of people were filing their, uh, their, their, their closure, their closing papers with their feuds of many months. Theory interrupts and says that Lashley is stealing his spotlight, and he deserves to be out here instead of Lashley. Lashley challenges him to a match and tells him to put the U.S. title on the line, and Theory poses with his bicep, and Lashley poses with his, which is bigger, and Theory says that you don't deserve a title match. So he tells Theory to take a walk, and he left. And I was at the edge of my seat at the end. I am just, I can't wait till the showdown occurs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, theory for uh, versus Lashley, you would think maybe for the U.S. title, or just no. He grabbed like, he grabbed the wrong replica title from the crowd. Then I mean, I, that's the thing. I, I feel like Lashley is way above the U.S. championship. So. Shouldn't these two maybe be in the? You need like how many guys in the in the ladder match? So yeah, you could, you're you right. Could put he, both of these two in there. Yeah, because who would want that ex- stupid belt, right? I mean, if it's not if it's not one of Roman's belts, why would anybody want to carry around this? terrible belt that you know is almost as bad as the 24 7 championship at this point this was a kind of our first glimpse at lashley as a babyface without mvp on the other side i didn't think it was that great i didn't like this segment i i thought both were very bland talking yeah lashley's promo i mean he does okay the crowd the crowd was chanting for him it's like they take to him but it just got really cold when theory came out i just i i sensed no chemistry between these two uh talking Lashley's promo, unfortunately, like again, without MVP there, he really has, doesn't have that much to say. Um, that was all that cutting here against Theory, and it just came across rather generic. And I have to say, like, I think Theory is doing fine for the role that he's been given, but it's not at all a character that I would say hooks you in, in, in any way. Um, it's, I mean, he's he's a millennial and. It's it's a little one note at this point, and and I think they've yet to find what's really special about him. At least you know for, the, for for to to be like engaging enough um, with a babyface that you know might be struggling without a, a hot hot opponent. Then after two months, we finally got the showdown. 
Dominic Mysterio against Veer Mahan. And we were reminded that Veer destroyed the Mysterios months ago. And Veer refers to Dominic as a fly buzzing around his head that he is going to crush in his hands as his father watches on and can't do anything to stop it tonight. Dominic, at the beginning, he puts his hands together like he's praying to make fun of Veer. And then his strategy was just to run away from him. And in 30 seconds... I was rooting for Veer to get his hands on this guy and just destroy him. It's like, what What a punk. I just wanted to see Veer destroy this man after he's, like, making fun of him. So Dominic is, like, getting into the ring. He's cheering, and then he keeps running away from him. And then there's some kicks from the apron, and the idea is he's trying to tire out Veer by making him run. But then Veer runs him over with a running avalanche, drops him off the apron, and then we go through a commercial break after he destroys both Ray and Dominic on the floor. Veer misses in the corner, is hit with a 619 as Dominic wraps himself around the post and hits the frog splash. Veer kicks out at one, gets up, million dollar arm, but before he can apply the cervical clutch, Ray has had enough. He's not throwing in the towel. He's throwing in himself to attack Veer for the disqualification. And they hit a 619 through the ropes. Uh, Ray hits it, and Veer is there standing on the floor. So this is their way of giving the baby faces a win this week by having uh, Rey Mysterio. Oh, yeah. What a win this was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. Veer gets the win by DQ. Uh, I, I thought this went way too long. Um, I didn't find Dominic to be all that compelling of a baby face. And... Man, I just watch Ray every week. It's like th- this guy should be like a s- significant part. Uh, well, like when he he should be their version of Sting. Like that's kind of the handling to me of a Ray, and mm-hmm. it's just so far from that. I get it, but you watch this, and it, it, he's just in these going nowhere programs. Yeah, but um, that's that's been the case pretty much of this this whole I run. Mean, it's it's been like what three years of this? It feels like, you know. Like week after week of these sort of endless cycles of just, you know, uh, beat up my son and then maybe I'll get revenge or you beat up me and then my son will get revenge. And then uh, we end up losing uh, a whole lot and then we just move on to other opponents who uh, can beat up my son or can beat up me and then one of us will get revenge. It's 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 endless. And um, I, I again, I think Dominic has been doing a good job, but. How long are you going to ride, you know, like good effort and good job? Like I need story. I need, you know, some character change with, within the two of them or just some goals and motivation here. Uh, at least, you know, thus far, I'm not really sensing it with this Veer Mahan, Rey Mysterio's thing. This whole second hour I actually found really boring Yeah, on this show. Yeah. I mean, this like this pretty much started right after WrestleMania. Like they had the, the Mysterios were gone for a bit, mm-hmm. but we're just circling back at um this was not a two-segment match. That's what I will say. The Judgment Day are out, and this was the recipient of the countdown clock because they were teasing a new member for the Judgment Day would be announced at 10 o'clock. And the three are in the ring, and Damian Priest, WWE Universe, you know what time it is. I thought he was going to go into, like, Limp Biscuit lyrics or something. They have a song addressing the WWE Universe? Well, you know what time it is. He was, uh, he was rolling on to his uh, WWE lingo and says that their message is spreading like wildfire. Their destiny has no limitations. And Rhea and Priest were inundated with the what chants. Priest says that Rhea's destiny is to become women's champion again 
and one step closer to omnipotence when she wins the fatal four-way tonight and beats Bianca Belair at Money in the Bank. So it's going to be omnipotence in the bank. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope that this was the last type of this promo that we've heard from this group. The, this verbiage is a fucking killer. Who can make this work? Not MJF. Edge. What does that tell you? One of their best promos could Ugh. not make this work. This, this to me, honestly, has been the lowest point of Edge's entire WWE career. This angle. Sure. Yes, yes. And uh, mercifully, it might, might be coming to an end. But think about, you know, yeah, in the hands of Edge, it's, it's pretty awful. What's it going to sound like in the hands of a Damian Priest, okay, who really is not the best promo in the world? <clears throat> Rhea Ripley, who I think is a fine promo, but when you just... Uh, um, you turn her. The problem is like there's somewhere halfway between like generic heels who don't like the audience because they don't want to please the audience anymore, and some sort of weird like religious cult, um, for no reason. Like there's very little that's religious about what what it is that they actually want to do, except for just the I don't know the aesthetic of it, and yet they just seem to want to shove everything in, and it's just, it's just just a fucking mess. Like it, it, they they both sound so completely, painfully generic, yet completely inauthentic. So, I and and I and I don't look at like any of these members as like weak links. Like the no, group, they're, they're fine. Yeah. It's the gimmick that I think has just yeah. it just has not worked. Whatever you want to say about it, and and maybe you look at it like sometimes you get handed terrible stuff, but you overcome it. But that's like we we've had this for two months. This is not taken off. Edge takes the mic. And says, now the adult in the room speaks. And he's been doing this for 30 years, so shut your mouths. And he says how proud he is of Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest putting them over. They listened, and someone else was listening and heard their message. So everyone stands up. Who is the new member? And out walks Finn Balor. And the announcers are like, is this just a ruse to attack the Judgment Day? It's like they're calling out the tropes that people are assuming. And he just gets into the ring and shakes hands with Edge. And Edge says, I saw something change in you last night. And then you reached out to Priest and Ripley. And I've always said that you're one of the best out there. Balor explains, I had a moment of clarity last night. A calling that I refused to ignore and pretending to be someone I'm not. And I wasn't upset when Rhea stood in front of you and prevented me from hitting the coup de grace. I was impressed. So I reached out after the show. I wonder if it was a text or like uh, like what form of communication? Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a special um, uh, service for people with alter egos that uh, he reached out to. Are you on WhatsApp, Rhea? And he reached out and was tired of being told what to do, which is kind of funny how this guy who was like out on his own is joining a group where in theory you, you would be much more like in line with like a group group rules than before. But nonetheless, yeah. it's a group where nobody gets to tell them what to do except for, I don't know, um, each other. <laughs> so Priest then says that they are now ready to shed the last bit of limitations that are holding them back which is you and they all attack short-haired edge and they, they deliver the south of heaven on him the coup de grace and then the dude with uh, the bad neck and everything takes a razor's edge 
for Damian Priest onto the desk. Mm-hmm. This guy should, this guy went all out here to get this attack across, and then they weren't done. They did the the edge spot, ripping off the metal from the chair, and Balor delivering a crossface with the bar inside of his mouth, and then. Damian Priest hits him with a concerto like they were out to kill this guy. He took everything here to the point that I, I almost thought it was too much. Like, did this guy have to go through a, a desk with the razor's edge when we were going to do a concerto on top of it? It was like you, you forgot about that spot by the end of this. They just destroyed him. And Graves asks, why, given that they were so dominant last night? I was like, that's a great question because Edge pinned this guy last night and mm-hmm. you're now opting to go with the loser as your new leader in Finn Balor. But I will say that this did feel probably very abrupt. Maybe they knew they were going this way 24 hours ago, but this does feel like a switch based off of like we're losing Cody and we need Edge is not needed here as this heel. So we need him as a babyface. That's yeah. what it felt like. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, I, I would assume that this was probably not always the plan, um, maybe a month out, you know, to, to maybe eventually it, w- it was eventually going to. Be I the don't plan, think but... a week out way like they were just like getting this stuff going. Like, yeah. I, I don't think that this was I, this felt like a very sudden change. I fully expect that Balor at some point was going to turn heel, maybe even on AJ and Liv Morgan somehow. Um, but this certainly felt pretty abrupt for him. I I would though suggest that I would hope that they knew that this was going to be the direction before the match yesterday, which makes the booking of that match really completely perplexing. Yeah, which is why I don't think this was probably known. Like, like that match did not lead you to what you were doing 24 hours later. There was no dissension. There was no tease of like Edge and Priest being uh, like nothing. I think that's also giving them a lot of credit, you know, because I could very well see that somehow uh hey we don't want this group to lose so let's have them win here and we'll switch out the leaders tomorrow um you know all that said uh i like the segment and i like the idea of swapping these leaders here for balor over edge number one i mean it sets edge now up uh for an eventual comeback as a baby face where he's way more interesting and way more successful and way more valuable to this company and I think for Finn Balor, listen, you're not going to get further down the card than you are if you're Finn Balor. You're losing no, this everything. No, this is a lifeline for him. Certainly. And he looks great with the faction behind him. Uh, I certainly hope that this is them aborting the whole gimmick because this will not help anybody if Finn Balor starts talking like Edge and has to join this stupid culty, uh, you know, like Halloween costume stable. Let them talk like real people and let Rhea speak like a real person. Let Damien Priest speak like a real person and let Finn Balor speak like a real person because I think he's great at it. He's shown in NXT what great, how great of a heel he could be. I, I hope this is you know their, their chance to, to bring that sort of character up there and make Rhea and Priest, you know, um, this is their chance to fix a mistake before, you know, that, that group became too ingrained. So I hope they take full advantage of it. Yeah, the Omnipotence Club can maybe be retired. And we'll find yes. something else. I, I don't mind like the three of them together for all the reasons you stated. Like the, the gimmick was not working. Edge is better suited as a babyface. Um, and I think he could have been a fine heel, but not not in this iteration. I, I think this was just a swing and a miss. This this run of the Judgment Day. Um, but there you go. Um, the big angle on the show. Smackdown on Friday will have Ricochet against Gunther for the Intercontinental Title. 
And then Omos against Cedric Alexander. No entrance for Cedric. Tree slam, 13 seconds. He beat him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's ultimately fine. Like, who cares? But I, I think you could make the argument that, like, by giving Cedric a little bit here, a little bit of a comeback... Number one, of course, would benefit Cedric, who you've actually devoted quite a bit of TV time into somewhat establishing him as like now an ally of Bobby Lashley. This just kind of discards that, you know, like who cares about Cedric Alexander at this point? But I would say like if you gave Cedric just a little bit, gave him like one big near fall, okay, it would have made Omos seem more impressive beating somebody who actually is somewhat capable instead, they're so afraid of having like these monsters look. Um, I, I don't know, a uh, week at all that you end up with a segment that is completely forgotten about by the end of the show. The funny part was that when Omos walked to the ring, they had the graphic up and the little description and it said, uh, Omos and MVP lost to Bobby Lashley due to interference by Cedric Alexander. Like Cedric Alexander was the difference maker in that match last night when if you right. blinked, you missed him. Um, but that was the setup for the match. It's over in 13 seconds. And boom, we cut to the Okerlund position, as they call it, where Kevin Patrick brings out the returning dirty dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. And they come out and MVP interrupts, saying they're being disrespected for these clowns. And MVP gets super kicked and Omos and MVP chase them to the back. So Ziggler and Roode were presented as baby faces here. And working with Omos and MVP, um, that is a unique pairing. It certainly is. Yeah, because you would think that, I mean, hey, the tag team division needs tag teams. But instead, let's serve the tag team division to be squashed probably again by Omos in a handicap match, which you know is we're going to get just weeks and weeks of. Um, so, okay, whatever. Um, there are more bodies that you're paying for the roster, so um, serve them up to Omos. Otis against Ezekiel. This was uh, Ezekiel's uh, rebound after Sunday's loss. He tries to get him off his feet, hits the jumping knee, and then catches him with a crucifix in two minutes and 21 seconds. Very short. And then Ezekiel gets onto the microphone, addresses Kevin Owens. He fell short at Hell in a Cell, but he learned from his older brother that everyone deserves a second chance and he wants a rematch next week. So Owens comes out asking, why would I give you a rematch? But he says he's in a good mood and he'll give him one if you admit that you're Elias. So he says, okay, I admit it. You admit what? What do you admit? And he admits, my name is Elias. And Owens, dude, his selling and just, this was the greatest, uh, the greatest confession that has ever been uttered in front of Kevin Owens. And he declares himself a genius and says, I win. So do you agree to the rematch? Yeah, yeah. So Ezekiel laughs. I just took a, play, a page out of your playbook. I lied. I'm Ezekiel, and he nails him with a knee. I don't know why, but I found this like somewhat very enjoyable. I mean, you, you, it was you should just, know. You should. It was know so why. stupid, but it was so funny. You should know why, because these two are fucking hilarious, and it, it's at the point now where, listen, in the first week, I think the, the, the feud is almost too stupid for Kevin Owens, but they are very entertaining. As long as this thing is just going to go on. In the first week, you know, the joke kind of came, and then I think it kind of went. It's the type of thing where two weeks in, you're still groaning. Three weeks in, maybe. Four weeks in, okay, it's good again. 
eight five weeks, weeks in, we're still with it. It gets better, okay? It is the type of joke that should not... It's, it's an SNL skit that should not have existed for more than five minutes. They have somehow stretched this thing out to like three months, and it will probably be four months by the time... Five months by the time we're done. This will probably peak at SummerSlam, John. You know, with the rate that this is going. Ten weeks. Ten weeks we're at this this character. Oh, uh, unbelievable. Um, I'm totally there for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, Kevin Owens, first of all, is, is tremendous. And I think Ezekiel has been tremendous as well. Um, anytime he does one of those interviews and throws in little subtle things, or not even so subtle, but just saying how, you know, I'm a, I'm a new guy and I might have gotten too excited in my match yesterday. It was my first time on a big show. Like, that type of shit is hilarious to me. Um, and they're going to keep it going. It's, 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 I think, marvelous. The Green Bay Packers are in the crowd, and the main event was Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Alexa Bliss, and Dewdrop in your fatal four-way with Bianca Belair at ringside. Nikki Ash is in the corner of Dewdrop. Ripley and Dewdrop go at it early as, as the two kind of monsters in the match, and then Ripley and Bliss are in until Liv returns, sending Ripley out of the ring. Bliss just whiffed on this forearm strike, totally missing Liv, uh, which I wouldn't have like noted until Corey Graves mentioned it. And they go to break. They come back. Dew drops in control of Bliss. And then uh, there's a code red to Ripley by Bliss out of the corner, followed by a running splash from Dewdrop. They do the Tower of Doom spot with Ripley taking the superplex. The Tower of Doom is super overdone, but this is the way to enjoy it. And it's what I focus on. Watch the two people that are grounded that have to send everyone off the turnbuckles because to get it over, they too have to sell. But all they're selling is pretty much like falling to their knees. And then it's like the impact of the other two crashing reverberates and they have to go down too. It's the best way to enjoy a Tower of Doom spot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, it's vibrations can 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 hurt. Uh, Bliss and Morgan did like the tumbleweed spot with like rolling inside cradles going all around the ring that the crowd responded to. And Bliss sets up her for a twisted Bliss landing on the knees and Dewdrop tosses Alexa out. Morgan's in with the double knees. Oblivion gets stopped because of Nikki Ash from the floor and Dewdrop catches Liv with a Michinoku driver. Ripley breaks up the cover and gets Dewdrop up for the riptide and Rhea Ripley pins her. And it ends with her staring alongside with Finn Balor and Damian Priest uh, with Judgment Day's music playing as Belair held up her title um, for just a couple seconds too long before it felt like a very awkward stare down where no one was going to blink and she was just going to hold this title. So there you go. Rhea Ripley wins and we have our first match for Money in the Bank. Yeah, you know, if we're, um, you know, just looking to bridge the gap between this show and SummerSlam, I think Rhea Ripley is a decent choice. The, the, the show that was bridging the gap was going to be in a like 50,000 seat stadium at one point and now it is just mm-hmm. bridging the gap in the intimate confines I mean they've already sold out the show they, they have sold it out deal. so I mean it's um you know the they, they filled the smaller venue so that's a good sign I think it you know it's it, it's something now for the this judgment day stable to to have as well because I don't necessarily see Priest nor Balor going for any world championships soon so really it's Rhea Ripley is your ace of the stable uh, quite honestly, so we'll see how. Uh, what what how do you well think? See Edge coming back for because it really seemed like Priest was the one that they are setting up for doing the concerto and the Razor's Edge. Um, I mean, Balor Edge to me would be the more attractive match. That's the match I would love to um, see, especially with Edge as a babyface. But it, you know, the, the severity of that type of angle, you can buy him exiting for quite a while. I, I mean, I guess you would expect maybe SummerSlam for him to be ready for, but um. 
Yeah. Uh, the well, magic- wait, 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 wait. I just, I just saw Madcap Moss come back from. You, you know, think he's doing Money in the Bank? You think Edge is going to do Money in the Bank? Um, I'm just saying that we we just did an angle with, with Moss, uh, and he came back after like two or three weeks. So you're yeah. kind of and you know what? That's the other thing about like the Cody thing is that I think it's kind of hard to get like some of these injury angles across as so severe when you've seen something so real on the show and this guy gut his way through it that. I'm not saying like it, it kills the angle, but I, I think it does kind of take some of the air out of it when you're trying to push another like storyline when you've seen like a real injury like that. I mean, I think the concerto is, is a is a well protected spot, relatively speaking, um, that I could buy him being out of action until SummerSlam. Um, but yeah, um, SummerSlam is probably when I'm expecting him. But uh, yeah, Ripley versus Beller. I think in ring will be it should be a good match. Um, um, and that's all I have to say about that, because I don't think we're getting a title change. You know, it's really going to be a month of some promos from Finn Balor, perhaps, on, on behalf of Rhea Ripley, and uh, just building up that way. Uh, otherwise, I thought it was a an incredibly slow-moving show throughout the middle. There were some interesting segments. I think the Cody Seth segment was good. Um, what else we got here? Baffling booking by having Becky Lynch involved at all with the 24-7 division. Um <laughs> fuck judgment day yeah okay two segment a two segment show honestly and then you got like a a, a new contender for for bianca belair so you know like three newsworthy items um two i would say good segments and whatever else you like about professional wrestling uh on this show the two big segments i think i think those were the the newsworthy elements i would say i would say the wrestling um th- there was nothing that really jumped out at me uh wrestling wise i was with no. you on the profits and and the usos like to me it really uh, didn't get to a, to another gear and you got a count out after 16 and a half minutes uh so the the wrestling was uh, the main event didn't jump out at me in any way either um the question way is that mm-hmm. do we get finn balor addressing uh, Bianca Belair speaking on behalf of Rhea Ripley in this lead up to Money in the Bank. Do you think we get that on any Raw episode between now and Money in the Bank? Like uh, Balor cutting a promo on Belair. Yes. Potentially, yeah. I mean, you heard Priest, you know, almost speak of Rhea Ripley by saying that um, she's going to be champion. So, uh, yeah, I can. I mean, you had the stare down today, so I can, I, I can imagine some sort of um, speaking on behalf. Um, while you know they're running multiple feuds, I mean maybe they pair Bel Air with somebody else to go up against these two. Whatever. What, what about AJ Styles? No, no mention of him. Is he done with this Judgment Day group? Is well, we saw open? him get busted open last night, and then he yeah. wasn't on the show tonight. So I, I wondered if if that was the, the cause of them maybe holding him off uh, tonight. So John just texted me. We should save that one. Oh, okay. No. All right. No, that's very good. I just wanted to see what your reaction was going to be. I, I think that was like a four out of ten. So all right, anyway. no, it's pretty good. We have some super chats here to get to from. Let's get to them, all of you guys. Thank you uh, very much, Jake from the Windy City for five dollars. Thank you so much for your support, Jake. As always, he says the Avs have swept the Oilers, so Rampage should be normal on Friday. Also, John, how's your MCU catch up these days? Have you gotten to No Way Home? No, I, I haven't watched any anything MCU related. Nothing. Uh, David, David. Davidian Alter sends $5 just to support. So thank you so much as always, uh, David. I believe you sent one last time as well. So much appreciated, David. Hanzi sends $7. Thank you, Hanzi. He says, good luck to WWE Creative trying to make the fans give a reason to root for Edge after he has been calling us all kinds of names for the last two months. Fans are very forgiving, I guess. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's listen, 
they they had this situation. Their top babyface went down. They had to make a decision, and they went with Edge. And He's it, yeah, have quite it makes, the explanation. You yeah. you really need to come up with something very creative. Um, I was under the spell of Damian Priest, or just blame yeah. him. But yeah, it's it's very abrupt, and it's I I would imagine like you can say whatever you want about this this storyline. I do truly believe Edge was very invested in it. Like, the guy seemed like he was very yeah. committed to it. It just was not working. And I'm sure there's some, you know, you just get this thing pulled out from underneath you. And, you know, you've spent two months on this. And then, boom, we're, we're ending it like that. And now he's thrust back into the role he had left. So, but I don't think, it, it, I don't think he will be the same Edge as he was last time he was a babyface. I mean, I'm curious to see what qualities of his current character he retains in a babyface form. Yeah, yeah, the hair. I mean, I think you might even keep the entrance. Um, Delivery-wise, like I suppose, you don't think he goes enough. back to the to the old theme. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they consider it an essential part of the you know babyface package, but. I feel like he will do what he can to retain elements of it to, to still at least, you know, have a more fresher take on his character. as a I, I hope so, because it when you do leave a character and something fails and you go back to it, you don't return to it always the same way. It's, yeah. I, I do feel it needs like some some updated presentation. And Hansi brings up a great point. Like you've just cut all these scathing promos on the fans and then boom, it's this really no tease of this, no dissension, no time for the audience to want the baby face turn. They're just being presented with it cold. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just the way things were. Like I, I think you have to have some, some leeway based on like, this was probably not their plan to do this. Matt, Sends $5. Thank you so much for the support, man. He says, I can't wait for the you fans promo from Finn. He's tired of being told what to do. He was being told what to do all this time. Uh, boy, do I hope that they have a brand new idea for what this group stands for. And I hope it is nothing of this sort. The, the, again, this not many not many stables get a chance to like do a hard reset in the middle of it and have it be you know somewhat like make sense in storyline. This is their chance to fix all the issues that were clear with this group from the get-go, and I hope they take advantage. One piece of feedback here from forum.postwrestling.com. Do you want me to get to it, John? Sure. Alexander from Portland says, Raw needs a big baby face, and I thought it could have been Seth, but now it looks like it'll be Edge. I don't mind Edge turning face, but I hope this is officially the end of the Judgment Day. Damian, Rhea, and Finn can still be a unit, but the Judgment Day gimmick feels unnecessary if Edge isn't attached. I'm curious how many times the show's script was torn up and rewritten to get Dana Brooke defending the 24-7 championship by pinning Becky Lynch in the ring. Cody refusing the stretcher was a good moment, but Dana Brooke was chilling in the ring as it was happening, and it really distracted me. Highlight of the night was Kevin Owens. Raw is in need of top baby faces, and KO always feels like he could be easily heated to be in that role. I would have loved to have been in the arena to see Dana Brooke make her entrance during the break while Cody is selling right in front of her. And she just has to, like, tap dance around his uh, his body to get to the ring. Hey, the, the Liv Morgan uh, timer was a lot quicker this this week. She did not stick in the ring for 18 minutes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That is that is our new record. 18 minutes uh, from entrance to bell ringing to start the match. It felt so, like yeah. more like five this week, you know, so maybe yeah, they've learned. They were a bit more efficient this week. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for your feedback. Once again, we are back Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, and we will do a catch-up on all the latest news and discuss uh, what is going on in the world of 
Pro Wrestling. And then Tuesday night, postwrestlingcafe.com members will get the latest edition of Talk. Uh, over an hour and a half of Way and I doing that very thing as we uh, broadcast mm. live from the mountain of omnipotence. That that is correct. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for for the super chatters who uh, you know uh, supported the show this during the live stream. If you're listening to this in archive and you, if you want to support the show, the best way to do it is to become a patron at postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, not only do you uh, basically fund everything that has to do with post-wrestling and postwrestling.com, but you get some bonus shows on top of it as well, plus our entire archive. So still the beginning of the month, so now is the best time. Yes, we're going to have uh, multiple editions of Rewind Away this month, including uh, Money in the Bank 2016 that's going to be coming up. Uh, I'm going to be doing a uh, a cafe show after Slammiversary uh, that's coming up, uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend, and uh, always great stuff happening on the cafe so you can check all of that out and we will speak with you tuesday at 1 p.m eastern